This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome to Night Float, a series in the Short Code Podcast and the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine explores what it means and how to be a resident physician. I'm Dave Etler, and with me today are Aaron Hankey, one of our medical student counselors at CECOM. And M4, Lisa Weir, has joined us today. Hi, Lisa. And we're also very lucky, considering their, their schedules, to have ophthalmologist R2, Tony Chung. Howdy. And internal medicine R2, Travis Snyders. How you doing? Guys, welcome to Night Float. Appreciate your taking the time of course. To, to join us no in this problem. conversation. No problem. me an easy week. Yeah, well, I mean, we, that's our hope, is that we're able to find regularly people with an easy week and we'll see uh to our audience as you listen today we want to emphasize our engraved invitation to you this is your show we want your questions your comments and your needs to play a big part in shaping what we talk about so send your thoughts anytime to the shortcodes at gmail.com or call 347 short ct we guarantee we will address them on the show so aaron we're here today to talk about specialty choice yes what are we, how are we going to do this? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of what we're experiencing now with students is the M3s are at a place in their uh, academic progress that they're trying to hone in and finalize that, that specialty choice and thought it might be useful to hear from each of you what your specialty choice process was like and possibly any tips, strategies, or suggestions you might have for folks who are listening in and, and going through that process themselves. So, so bring it on, bring it, just do the whole, no. I'm, <laughs> I can go first. Sure. By the time I started third year, I was thinking already internal medicine, if I was my first choice, but I still wanted to go into each new rotation with an open mind and find reasons why that one wasn't going to be a good fit or find positives that maybe I could explore further. So, my schedule, I started with uh, family medicine, 12-week block, and I enjoyed a lot of that, except for though too much w women and too much pediatrics, of course. And then I did pediatrics, where I enjoyed the first couple weeks of the NICU, but then the rest of peds I did not really enjoy at all, um, mostly clinic. <laughs> um, and then... Never work with kids and animals. That's what they say in acting. <laughs> no. So, and then... I did surgery right before medicine and I enjoyed about a week of that because the enjoying the war is always a fun place to get to explore and and but then I look looking ahead at what my life would look like as far as hours what I'm doing and just the commitment that all, all entails that I wasn't as much in love and after about a week and a half, I figured out, no, I don't want to do this. I just want to get through the six weeks. <laughs> so and then I did medicine next and that I think confirm my choice i still kept an open mind with the last couple of rotations in ob and psych but i think it was a done deal by that point in the spring and did my sub i in in july and 
uh, my fourth year and interviewed and got in. What did you so. love about internal medicine? So if you're a person who's not sure what they want to do with their life, this is the best choice for continuing to have many, many options down the road. Because I wasn't sure what exactly I wanted to specialize in at that point. And the medicine by far has the most special specialty choice after you do your first three years of general medicine. So, and then I think also what I said earlier about didn't really, didn't really care so much for doing pediatrics because I just didn't feel like I have that personality for it. And, um, and I wasn't as procedurally oriented person as someone who would be going into surgery. So I didn't have as type A of a personality as some people do. Tony, where were you with it? Um, I think for myself, I went into medical school. Um, well, I grew up around photography, so I knew I wanted something visual, something I could diagnose with just looking at things. Um, for some reason, like going into medical school, I was like, I never want to do surgery. I don't want that type of pressure on me. Um, but then getting into it, I ended up in ophthalmology. Um, kind of lucked into undergrad research, which was in visual perception. Um, and then uh, my very first rotation third year actually was ophthalmology, and, and that set the bar. Everything else had to meet it, and nothing did. There are certain aspects here and there that I liked, but I like the fast-paced kind of clinic of ophthalmology. I like being able to use my hands on pretty much every patient I see with our lenses. I'm a big tech nerd. Um, Technology is always changing, and there's always in industry involved, you know, good or bad, depending on how you see it. Um, but things are always changing as a result, which is incredible. So it's a constant um, state of challenge and learning and, and whatnot that I really liked about it. Um, and I think what I really liked most about it was being able to see um, what I was diagnosing, um, you know, especially for, for example, diabetes. If someone comes in and, you know, they I, I can, let's say they're, we're a tertiary care center, so we're getting referrals. If I don't get their records, you know, I don't know what their diabetes is currently at. So I'm forced to kind of listen to see what what they reporting or what they're reporting their blood sugars are in the morning but if I look in the back of the eye and it looks like horrible diabetic retinopathy I know that their diabetes isn't in good control I loved ophthalmology that much so as soon as I I had it I, I would have chosen it and I know a few of my classmates um, anecdotally have said that if they would have done this specialty or another specialty earlier they would have considered it more strongly but by the time they had actually gotten to it it was already too late to do so in some ways, it sounds like you sort of lucked into ophthalmology because usually, I mean, if you're given a choice, mm -hmm. you a lot of the, the strategy generally is like, don't do the specialties first in your uh, clerkships um, because you want to get other things in first, like your internal medicine and your psychiatry and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you do ophthalmology and you love it, you're sort of very inexperienced at the beginning. Right. And, you know, it's not the best mm -hmm. way to, to go about it, basically. But yeah. you were just like, hey, here I am, and I love it. Yeah, and uh, that was actually my goal was try to get it later. Um, so I tried switching, but nothing else worked. So I just stuck with that schedule, and, and, and it, it just worked out. I think ophthalmology in and of itself is a very different field um, compared to most other fields of medicine, um, just based off of how, how strongly, um, you know, how much we rely on clinics for our visits, that um, I didn't need the experience of inpatient medicine or any other, um, I guess, specialties before going into it um, and being able to get the exposure that I would get. Because I think most people who go into ophthalmology, it's such a different field 
regardless of, of what your past exposure is, is that, um, that it's going to be new. Because ophthalmology is an early match process, mm-hmm. how did you navigate that time frame? So, uh, you know, being in that time frame, we have to, you have to really make connections early. Um, if you if you're interested interested in any specialty, regardless of early match or not, I think it's vital to go and talk to someone in the field and to get a feel for it. So even even though I knew I wanted to do ophthalmology from the beginning and other things had to had to match it, you know I went and talked to the head of the vascular surgery department because I was interested interested in vascular surgery at least to learn more about it. You know I would I would keep in touch with them. I'd keep in touch with the surgery department. I'd keep in touch with various or you know fellows or residents um, senior residents in internal medicine when I was on that just to just to at least keep the door open if that if if I happen to like it more um, so I think making those connections early and strengthening them as you go on and decide this may be something that you want to do for the rest of your life to continue strengthening strengthening those relationships that you have we have some first-year students right now trying to make a decision about summer research. And, and one of the questions that we often get is, how significant is it to have research um, going into the specialty choice? I think for myself, ophthalmology is very research-heavy. Um, so research is, is important. Um, for myself personally, I'm not that interested in basic science. So you find ways that you can find questions at least that pique your interest and then you go from there. So for myself being a big tech nerd, I started looking into video games, how that Im- impacts you know, res- resident education was my main focus as a student. Um, so you just kind of find ways to find your own or to make your interest a part of your career. Travis, did you do research as well? I did summer research for the actually before M1 year and then after M1 year for the two summers and Back then, I was thinking I wanted to be a radiation oncologist, and then once you learn more about what that field entails and how narrow of a specialty it actually is, I decided against it. But um, you don't necessarily need basic science research. The only as Tony just said, the there's more research than just basic science in a in a lab. So right now, as a resident, you really don't have the time to do that unless you are again years off. Um, so now it's all clinical research and for is looking at patients and retrospective data. So um, in for medicine specifically, I didn't really do that much my third and fourth year for, for research before my application. But as being not as competitive as, say, ophthalmology wasn't as necessarily required, maybe not. Lisa, what's your specialty choice process been like? Um... All over, not all over, like (laughs) kind of the same, but I guess I've refined slash unrefined my specialty choice throughout the years. Uh, So I grew up, my mom's a veterinarian, and so I grew up in her clinic, and that was my entire life, and I wanted to be a vet for years and years. And then I was like a junior in high school, and I decided I like animals too much, and I could never be a vet. I'm a bleeding heart for anything with four legs and fur. But um, I liked the medicine that she did, and that's very much like internal medicine, family practice type stuff. It's primary care medicine mostly. Um, and so I was like, oh, I want to be a primary care doctor. And then in a roundabout way, you know, went through undergrad and stuff and got went to get my first job as a nursing assistant. And, and Ames at the only time, at the time, the only job was open on the psych unit. And I was like, sure, whatever, I want a job. Um, and I actually really liked it. And so I was like, oh, maybe I want to do psychiatry. 
But then I was like, I don't know, maybe I still want to do primary care. And so kind of just kept on that. And then I moved here for grad school and applied for a job in psych, but then didn't get it. And I actually got a job on med psych. And then I was like, oh, my God, I never knew this existed. And it's the perfect combination of medicine and psychiatry. Um, So I thought I was pretty sure I wanted to do that coming into med school. But I also was like, you know, I've never really practiced or been in the medicine or the physician side of any of this. And so went into clerkships and I was still a little up in the air between internal medicine and psychiatry and family medicine psychiatry. Um, And my first, my very first clerkship was family med, which is never the greatest spot to have something you're thinking about in because you're just so overwhelmed with your first clerkship and you don't know what to do. And family med's a little different one where you're kind of out by yourself and there's no one else around and it can be kind of lonely and I was okay I was like okay you know I don't have anything to compare this to but it's fine I could do this I think (laughs) and then um, I had my outpatient internal med and I was like oh I think I like this a little a little better and then I had inpatient internal med and I liked that as well Um, so then I was like I'm gonna stick with the the med psych thing and I I loved my psych clerkship Uh, And so then after I finished my core year, I'd already done those three, basically. Um, I was like, well, I only had a month of either one. I should maybe circle back around and feel out the the medicine specialties I'm looking at again. So I went to Des Moines and did a month of outpatient internal medicine and was very happy with that and loved that a lot. Um, I did my sub-I here on MedPsych, and that was kind of like, oh, yeah, I could do this the rest of my life. Um, and then I actually also did family med psych um, as a clerkship and had a better experience than I did in my first family med um, thing. So I'm mostly applying. Uh, it's a, it's complicated because there's only 10 or 11 med psych programs in the nation and I think four family med psych programs. So everyone has a backup specialty as well. And so mostly combined, I, I want to stay in the Midwest, so I'm a little more limited. And then my backup is psych. I hate saying as a backup because I'd be super, I'd be very, very happy doing just psych, but I would prefer to do a combined program. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've had to think through a lot of the logistics as well as what you're passionate about. Yeah, yeah. There'll be some folks sitting out here um, waiting for that moment that they hear about where you discover your passion, cue music, and and it may not necessarily happen that way for Doesn't folks. Really happen. And so, Except for Tony. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to those people a little bit. What what thoughts do you have for them? I think for me, um, the moment that was kind of the aha moment for me was I was in clinic, in retina clinic with a fellow who was letting me do a lot more than most students typically do. I think he had me go see the patient first, and it's such a busy schedule um, in the ophthalmology department, or at least in the clinics at least. Just So it's hard to get really get students involved, so I know that's one of the main gripes that we hear from students. Um, but I think I got lucky with the people who I worked with and there was a patient who came in with a retinal detachment and seeing kind of how they went through to try to get the eyes fixed and to preserve her vision is what really sold it for me. Um, cause this could be a devastating, you know, condition, um, that if it happened anywhere else without a retina specialist, you could fix it. She could go blind, but she was young, healthy, came to us early enough and they fixed it you know, and preserved her vision. And that's what, the, that's what really sold it for me. Pretty powerful experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think there's as much a hot, oh, aha moment that, that really spiked the point where I said, I want to do internal medicine. It was more of a slow progression of my brain slowly, 
convincing itself that it should just make a decision and go with medicine because nothing else is making the good enough argument. One moment, I guess, that maybe was a little bit of a tipping point was during my six-week internal medicine rotation. I um, took care of a patient with a new diagnosis of colorectal cancer. It was metastatic, and the I was I got to lead the family meeting for discussing with the family about decision making, what we do next, as far as uh, do we go home with hospice, do we consider um, any further treatment, or um, and how they were handling that and getting through it. So that's important thing is that we don't always save people. That but this by doing this where we help them with decision making when it comes at the end of life, that's an important part of what a physician does. And yet the in trauma medicine you do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that was the moment I really enjoyed. And then I had further moments in my sub eye and then I did palliative care rotation as a result of that experience. So and I'm going through the same thing. Well, have gone through the same thing as far as make a decision about what I do after the, these three years. So, what are you thinking about that? Uh, it was past year I decided I'm going with hematology oncology. So, okay. as a plan right now. So that's why I built my second year to make a plan for, and hopefully it works out for me. It's getting more and more competitive every year. <laughs> One of the things that struck me as Lisa was talking as well is we often talk about medical school being an academic choice, but specialty decision making is an occupational or a career choice. And so factors other than just what you like goes into it. Um, I know, Tony, for you, you did the couples match. And Mm -hmm. and Lisa, it sounds like you were thinking about the Midwest region and, and some aspects. So what other factors went into the decision-making process for you. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, part of it is my husband is a resident here, so we're kind of couples matching, but not couples matching because he's already matched. Um, so I know I wanted to stay within a reasonable distance of him because I would just wouldn't be happy if I had to be, you know, on one of the coasts. I probably wouldn't be happy on a coast anyway. I want to stay in the Midwest. but <laughs> um, So that really narrowed down what I was looking at, which I think was probably my primary choice, just like knowing that I need my home life to be happy. Um, to be happy wherever I end up. And then, I don't know, for me, it's kind of like, how do I feel like I click with the people that work in that specialty? So people, I don't know, there's just like different personalities that you feel and some you're like, oh, I, I think like you. And other ones you're like, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's such a hard thing to gauge is whether that specialty is a good fit for you. But if you don't fit with the people in, is that you or is that just the, that group of people you're around? There is some truth to it that you're around enough people and you think that overall you match well with them. So you, you don't want any one person to dissuade you from a specialty. So it's got to be a bigger um, thought process than just like, oh, I didn't get along with this one surgery resident. There's no way I could be a surgeon. Or, or even this one surgery like uh, clerkship because different, yeah. 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 different <laughs> places have different cultures and, you know, yeah. I guess it's unfortunate that you might accidentally make your decision based on the clerkship that you, you know, and the group of residents who are in that clerkship at your home school or wherever. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why away rotations can be important. But, you know, usually by the time you do your away rotations, you've got some idea what you're going to do. So, I think for my myself, um, Lisa made a good point of kind of finding who you interact well with. And I agree with that. Um, and I think what really solidified it for me as well is on the interview trail, I felt like 
most of the interviewees were very, very similar um, to me as well. You know, I got along with everyone. Everyone kind of had very similar personalities, similar likes, similar demeanor. Um, and that's you know, going through the interview process. I was like, yep, yep, this is, these are my people. I'm very happy here. Um, and I think ta- uh, uh, Travis makes a, a very great point of not letting anyone dissuade you from something that you want to do. Um, so really, you got to do what you want to do. Um, I know with my wife, she chose OB, and her sisters are both family uh, medicine um, staff, or, or uh, they've graduated their own residencies now. Um, but when she first told them OB, they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, they're like, that sounds awful. And I was like, if you like it, just do it. You know, I'm here to support you. Um, and and she did it and she loves it. She works like crazy, averages 70, 80 hours a week at least, but she loves every hour. Um, and and it's, it's tough. It's tough for her some days, but that's where you have to really, um, especially with the couples match, uh, me having a little bit of an easier schedule. It's uh, been a lot of compromise, mostly on my part, um, to do most of the cooking and cleaning, which she's very appreciative of. Um, but it's when you going into any residency in general, you also do have to factor in family um, and knowing that they can handle the time constraints that you're going to be subjected to. Um, and it's just a fact of residency. Um, I know with my with my own family, my immediate family, they still aren't quite they don't quite understand my schedule. Um, whereas her, my in-laws, they are very used to it since they've had all three of their daughters go through the medical field. So, as both Lisa and Tony have basically alluded to, is that family personal choices weigh actually much more heavily than we give them weight earlier in our process of making decisions. But when it comes down to the final decisions, the final rank list, those choices actually make quite a bit of difference. At least they did for my part. They have to for you. And then for Tony, just brought up now. Yeah. And again, Tony's like, don't let people dissuade you. Like if you know that you really love something and you'd be happy doing hours upon hours of it, like people will try to talk you out of anything. Um, I cannot tell you how much unsolicited advice and minor mini lectures I've gotten on why a combined program is a terrible choice for my life like way too many probably every other week um and and I just like I have to defend my choice and not that you shouldn't listen to other people's opinions because it's true they've been places like they've worked where I haven't um but also I I knew that I loved it and I worked on med psych and I always like I picked up extra hours and worked double shifts and I still loved it and so I know that that's what I want to do and just like sticking to that and not letting the um, opinions wear down on you <laughs> getting tired of being told to just pick one yeah, yeah. <laughs> or that I'll never make money or never find a job I'm like why well, yeah, I'm gonna money. be double boarded I can find any <laughs> job I want so psych um, during residency psych actually makes more moonlighting yeah they FYI do. yeah no, I know <laughs> Funny story is that Lisa and I actually worked together as nursing assistants, yeah. <laughs> and with and I would float on occasion to med psych, but whereas I was scared of the med psych unit, Lisa thrived. So it's yeah. it's really awesome to see that she's doing what she wants med to do. Med psych's my home. <laughs> I dread awesome. pages from Three Boy Tower. Yeah, most people do, and that's why it's just like everyone's like, "Oh, send the patient to Three Boy Tower." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I love them. They're my favorites." <laughs> 
folks in the audience who might be a little um, apprehensive to approach people about getting information, do you have tips for that? For instance, some people come in with concerns of, if I express an interest in a specialty, maybe I've committed and I let people down, or there'll be people who maybe for other reasons, they, they don't have families who are, are physicians, and so that, that cold contact is anxiety provoking. Do you have ideas or suggestions? I think for anyone in in a student coordination role is always interested in students. They wouldn't take that role because it is very time intensive. Um, I've had a lot of really good luck just starting there, starting with the coordinator um, and asking who they think I should talk to. They'll know the personalities of their faculty and they'll direct you in the right direction. If you have, let's say, in surgery, if you have a subspecialty of surgery that you're interested in, say, you know, which one of these do you, which one of these faculty do you think would be most receptive to me talking to them? And they'll have a good idea because they know their schedules and whatnot. Um, so that's, that's what I would do. And I even did that for residency interviews as well, where I, inter um, I either cold called the residency coordinators or emailed them, and I've gotten a lot of really good feedback um, and interactions just through those. Um, but if, if you're, if you don't, you know, personally, I think I do better with conversations either over the phone or in person. So I prefer phone calls, but if you're a better writer than I am, or you just feel more comfortable, you do you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, if you're in an academic setting, there's always someone who's more than willing to talk to you and definitely like hook you up with who they think is the best person. Um, I don't, I might be biased, but I think it's like if you can get a job in healthcare even before you go to med school, that's a great way to just, you know, do I like this patient population? Do I like the diseases and stuff I'm working with? So I think that's a big deal too. And when I, you know, was started, was on med psych, I actually, every single time a combined resident rotated through med psych, I would pick their brain and be like, why did you do med psych? Why did you fail in med psych? Would you choose it again? And so for, you know, three and a half years before med school, I was asking residents, you know, over and over again, like why, why they did it and what they liked or didn't like about their program. So, and they were all pretty happy to talk to me, I think. Great. So. Or at least bunch. they pretended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's really what counts. I'm going to put in a shameless plug right now. We're doing career conversations in the Medical Student Counseling Center. So if you're a third-year student, you've probably been invited. And basically what we do is we just talk with you about where you are in the process, the connections you're making, and we want to be supportive and provide resources. So if anybody's out there, um, please don't hesitate to come in and ask for a career conversation appointment, and we'd be happy to talk you through things. I did that. It helped. How did it help? So it was three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. But basically get all what I was thinking out in the open instead of a mess of muddled in my brain. So out on paper or clarifying what things are important to help making decisions. This can help with rankings too. But with that, we'll wrap up this episode of Night Float by the Short Coat Podcast. This show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program, and produced in cooperation, indeed, at the behest of the Medical Student Counseling Center. Your thoughts on today's show are of paramount importance, so send them to us at theshortcoats.gmail.com or leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We will see you next time. 